0: Let's go to God in prayer before we uh, open up our text this, this afternoon. Uh, Father, we approach your throne of grace again, reminded of uh, the awesome responsibility we have in being your children, to claim the name Christian, the things that come along with that calling. And we'll be mindful of those things as we leave this place. But for the next few moments, Father, I pray that we would be still. Your Spirit would work on us, that you would shape us and mold us to be more and more like you and in your image. We thank you for your Son and our Savior who gave his life on the cross of Calvary for the hope that we live with today, and the peace that we live with today, and the promise of life everlasting with you. And we thank you for the promise of your Spirit, and the presence of your Spirit that dwells within us as your children. Not only claiming us as yours, but leading us and guiding us, convicting us at every turn. Showing us the way to be the people you've asked us to be. May we be willing, may we be able, may we be courageous to follow where you lead as we go from this place into the world around us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, well, Second Corinthians chapter 1 is where we'll be for most of the time today as we've looked over the last few weeks about uh, how we deal with times of trouble. The series is called Damaged Goods because oftentimes it can feel like we are just damaged people. Um, maybe we can feel like we really don't have that much to offer. Um, sometimes we go through trials, and we go through difficulties in life, and we really just don't know how we are supposed to deal with those things. And And maybe even, not more importantly, but just as importantly, how do we help people who are going through those times? Uh, we, it's easy to fall into this this trap that says, these things shouldn't be happening to me, I'm a Christian, I follow God, I I try to do what's right. Why are these bad things happening in my life? Why are these tragedies and trials coming in this way when I've tried to live right? I thought God was going to protect me from that. Um, And we aren't alone when we think those things. Many um, righteous and faithful men and women, even in Scripture, ask those very same questions. So what do we do? How do we deal with uh, damage that comes our way? Today we're going to look at this, and it is simply this. Comfort others. Comfort others. Uh, When you're in a time of stress, uh, sometimes it is best to be able to take yourself out of the moment and to think about other people. Um, I had a counselor one time tell me... uh, when he would experience, uh, when he would counsel somebody, someone would come in, they're dealing with some kind of tragedy, some kind of loss, some kind of, of, of mental anguish, the first thing he would always have them do is to leave and go do an act of service. Um, find someone that you can help then help someone because just simply getting out and doing something for someone else takes you out of the mentality of focusing on your own trial, on your own troubles, um, the second thing that uh, we, were, we were taught in this counseling class that we were in, he was teaching, is he said the biggest part of, of counseling people, and we were not trained to be licensed counselors. In fact, I think a lot of times in uh, seminary, they teach you just enough counseling to be dangerous, <laughs> right? And so uh, uh, it's easy to come out thinking, well, I know all of this. and you really don't, right? You, you know enough to know when you're over your head, hopefully, which is pretty quickly when it comes to a lot of the counseling. He says, but when you're dealing with people who are going through difficult times in life, he said the biggest thing people have a hard time understanding is how scars tell stories. Because we've been trained and taught through the way that our culture presents itself to us that scars are ugly and scars need to be covered up. Um, They need to be taken away. We have a whole industry that is built around removing scars. But, you know, I could go through all of my body, and every little scar that I have, if I think about it, it has a story. Um, There's a scar over my knee where my best friend got a brand-new survival knife. And I said, dude, that's cool. Let me see it. And so he showed me. You know how he showed me? He threw it to me, and it stuck me right in the knee. Uh, We built a tire swing one time out in somebody's front yard, and we didn't realize how close the picnic table was to the tire swing until we launched off of, out of the tree the first time and saw the picnic table coming up and it hit me right across the thigh right here and I have a big scar on my inner thigh it looks like an earthworm from that picnic table some of our scars are a little more impactful right than those surface scars though. but our scars tell a story Even the scars that cut deeply tell a story. When Heather and I got married, we had a plan. Um, We were going to be married for about three years, and then we were going to start having children, and it was just going to work just like that. Um, It didn't work just like that. Um, We got pregnant a little earlier than we were planning on being pregnant. Um, Heather didn't plan on walking across the stage nine months pregnant. She graduated with a degree in biology on December 17th. Dustin was born on December 22nd, which means she went through science seminar pregnant, and then she had to deliver, uh, deliver her final paper or oration or speech or presentation, you know, pregnant. And all of her friends were laughing with her about, hey, you should fake going into labor. Maybe you'll get out of this uh, presentation because that's really not her thing, right? That wasn't her design, but it it happened with us that way. And we pretty quickly had another child. But between Dustin and Jody, we had some good friends of ours in class uh, who really wanted a baby, and they got pregnant. And they had a miscarriage. And they got pregnant again, and they had another miscarriage. And then we were pregnant with Jody, and it came to this point where it was like, I don't really know. We went to Bible class with them, went to church with them. We were good friends. And it's not like I felt like I had to hold that good news back, but I almost felt guilty that we were now pregnant with our second child. In fact, by the time we had three children, they had at least three miscarriages. And as we were going through that, and, and you know, as I was talking with, with them, with their first one, I began to to kind of try as a friend as a, as a fellow Christian as someone who's walking this walk with them you know, I wanted to say I understand but guess what I didn't understand had no idea what they were going through I didn't understand the pain that comes with that kind of experience and that kind of loss and I could say you know, God is a God of all comfort and, and God will go with you but, but I couldn't say that in a way that really helped them to really empathize I couldn't empathize with them And they were very gracious, and they celebrated in the birth of all three of our children. They now have several children of their own. But it wasn't but about a year later that another family in our Bible class had a miscarriage. Um, And again, as good friends, as people who were walking this life together, I wanted to go and really minister to them and say all the things that you want to say, but there are no words, right? Because still... I still couldn't empathize with them, but you know who could? The people that had been through it with them. They could come in, and they could sit down beside, and they could really, literally say, I've been where you are. I know what you're going through. And God is still good. And let me share some things with you that helped us when we went through this same thing. You see, our our scars tell a story. Our scars sometimes allow us to minister to some people in a way that other people can't. Because of the stories that they tell. Our scars minister to people. They are an attribution to the journey that we have traveled on. Let's go what Paul begins in this letter, the second letter to the church in Corinth. I mean, he begins with the regular greeting, and he starts again in verse 3 with what Richard just read for us a moment ago. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our afflictions. Paul begins to comfort the church in Corinth in the same way that he was able to be comforted. And comfort always begins with properly attributed praise. And this is just the way Paul begins, Praise be to the God and Father, the Father of mercies, who comforts us in all of our affliction. So this is Paul. He writes these words, but look at what Paul writes in verse 8. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Praise be to the God and Father of mercies, who comforts us in all of our troubles. So here is Paul and his team that have just been through a life-changing, life-altering experience in Asia. So much so that they thought they were going to die. And here is Paul praising God for the situation that he is in. Um, We've heard this statement, right? God will not give you more than you can bear. And we've listened to lessons and taught sermons on how much of a, a myth that is, right? God does give you at times more than you can bear. But what God never does is he never gives you more than he can bear. And I think frequently that is the, the, the very exact reason that so many of these things are allowed to transpire in our lives because I can't handle it on my own. The only choice that I have to make it through many of the trials and tribulations that come in my life is when I have the ability to surrender it to the one who has conquered it all. To be able to look at trouble in the face and say, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. I can't bear it. But he can. (laughs) I love having fans. That's okay. I see you, Dawson. Maybe you'll be up here preaching one of these days. We can start working on him now. I can't bear it, but he can. And there are times where maybe I need to get to my point, a point in my life where um, I have become so self-dependent and self-reliant and self-assured that what I need is a place in life where I can say, I can't handle this, so I've got to turn it over to the one who can He can bear it. You think about the the people that we've read about in Scripture. Noah Noah spent 120 years building a big boat, claiming that rain was coming when a raindrop had never fallen from the sky. He preached day after day after day for 120 years and converted eight people, including himself. That after 120 years of preaching and teaching and building, only eight people got on the ark. That takes a different kind of perseverance. Abraham spent who knows how long walking up a mountainside. I don't know how long it took to hike that mountain with Isaac, but if I were Abraham, I would have taken the longest, windingest route up that mountain. Because you know the whole way going up, he's thinking, he's knowing what he's been asked to do with his son, Isaac, the son that he had prayed and hoped for all of his life. And now God had said, I want you to come sacrifice him to me. Abraham made that walk. David looked at Goliath square in the eyes, denied the king's armor, picked up five smooth stones, and ran to the battlefield. Knowing in one part of his mind what should be waiting on him, but knowing even more so the God that stood behind him. The Apostle Paul went where God called him even though he was beaten and stoned and put in jail. Time after time after time. And as soon as he released, he continued on. He carried on in the journey. And Jesus left the garden of Gethsemane and pressed forward into Jerusalem knowing full well what awaited him on the other side of the city gates. See, we are not alone in these dark days, in these times of trouble that come, in these times of affliction that come into our lives, but our faith grows when we experience and when we share the comfort of God because it is one thing to experience the comfort of God it is a whole another thing to be able to share that comfort look as as he continues here in 2nd Corinthians chapter 4 he comforts us in all of our afflictions so that so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves have received from God So we have received something from God, and the reason we have received it is so that we can pass it on to someone else. And what better thing to do when we are in a time of trouble, in a time when we are needing comfort, but to go and comfort someone else, to pass along the comfort we have received from God. For as the suffering of Christ overflows to us, so through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is experienced in your endurance of the same sufferings that we have suffered. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the suffering, so you will share in the comfort. You see, we are comforted by a compassionate Father. We are comforted by Him so that we can comfort those who are in any trouble with the very comfort that we have received. And and, and what happens when we do that is we no longer stand in that sphere of self-pity, of self-righteousness that says, I don't belong here. This shouldn't be happening to me. Rather, We get outside of ourselves and we see what it is like to impart that same comfort on the people who need it. And almost immediately our minds can be transformed our mindset can be transformed because we realize a few things we realize that there is more to this life than the, than the light and momentary affliction that we are suffering that's what Paul says right he describes all the things that he's been through and he says these are just light and momentary affliction it's like you're on death's door time after time after time He says, it's just just an investment for the body that is to come. It's almost as if Paul is coming to the church in Corinth. I don't know what exactly they were going through, but he says, I've been where you are. I know what you were experiencing. The persecution is great, but you serve the God of comfort. And he comforts you so that you may comfort each other and that you can cover comfort people in all kinds of affliction because the suffering of Christ overflows to you the comfort of Christ overflows to you and because of what you have received you receive in such abundance that there is so much to give our faith grows when we experience and when we share the comfort of God because if we just hoard it if we just keep it to ourselves, maybe we feel a little bit of of comfort maybe we feel a little better but we haven't gotten any stronger we've kind of just stayed where we are we just feel a little bit better about where we are but when we get our hearts when we get our minds into this into this place where we can move beyond that our faith is strengthened our faith grows and continues to grow. And it also puts us in this state where we're able to walk in someone else's shoes. John chapter 1 in verse 14 shows us exactly what God did for us. The Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and took His residence among us. And we observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we know that we serve a God of all comfort, that comforts us in all of our afflictions? Because He's been where we are. He has walked in our shoes. He has lived the life that we've lived. He's experienced the joy. He's experienced the loss. He's experienced the pain. He's experienced the betrayal. Physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. He's experienced it all. His family turned on him. His friends abandoned him. One of his best friends betrayed him and turned him over to the people that would crucify him on the cross of Calvary. He saw one of his best friends dead in a tomb. He saw the suffering of the people that had followed him around for years. And he wept with them. He knew what it was to be angry. He knew what it was to be happy. He's walked where we have walked and so he comforts us in a way where he can come into the room and say, I love you and I feel you. I know what you're going through been where you've been and i'm contending on your behalf god became man to walk in our shoes and when we walk in others shoes we understand something a little differently jesus stands in our defense and we do the same for people we are called to bring comfort to to enter the lives of the hurting into the lives of those who are in pain who are struggling, who are experiencing trial and to bring the comfort of God into their lives Now we can't always say I know what you're feeling I've been through it before I sat with two students at a camp one time and one of the students had been going through something in her, in her life that she had begun cutting her wrists. Not deeply. But I began to be a little suspicious when it was 95 degrees outside and we were outside playing water games and she was wearing a long sleeve shirt. And as we began to talk, one of her friends came up and she said, It's going to be okay. She said, how can you know that? And the girl rolled up her sleeves, and she had scars all over her arms where she had been doing the same thing. But they were healed, almost disappeared. But they still told a story. She was able to look at her friend and say, I know where you've been. I know what you've been going through. And it may seem dark right now, but there is a light at the end of this path. And she began to share her story. What drove her to this place? Our scars minister to people. Our scars bring comfort in ways that no one else can bring comfort. We all have been equipped with a very unique ability to, to pass this on to people because of the experiences that we have, the good ones and the dark ones. But we have to be willing to allow them to speak. Because here's the truth, hurting people need hope. When I am hurting, I need hope. Both to give and to receive. Both to receive and to give. I need someone to give me hope, but I need somebody to give me hope so that I can pass it on. Hope and error are, are two of the things that humans can't live without. To live without hope is not to live at all. We need it. It is one of the very basic elements of what we have hope does something powerful to the soul of a person it brings a different kind of light it brings a different kind of breath it brings a different kind of life hope does and hurting people need hope in John chapter 16 and verse 33 Jesus says this to his apostles I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace You will have suffering in this world. It's non negotiable. It's just a part of living life as a human. You will have suffering. And likely what Jesus is saying to them is you will have suffering because you are Christian, not just because you are human. But for you who choose to live counter to the culture in which you are born, you will face trials. And if you are working for the kingdom, you may face more trials than the average person. And that can be a lot, because if you look out in the world today, people are facing tough times all over. It says you will have trouble. You will have suffering. But be courageous because I have overcome the world. I have conquered the world. If we are in this world... That equals trouble. It may be one of Satan's greatest weapons against the church is our desire to be comfortable. Not to be comforted, but to be comfortable. How many times in my life have I turned down an opportunity? An opportunity that might have been very good for the gospel or good for the kingdom. But it just wasn't really what I wanted to do, not really where I wanted to go, not really how I wanted to work, not really how I wanted to live. We have set so many things up for our own ability to be cool, (laughs) convenient. I want to be able to just run down to the store when I need something. I want to be able to hop in my car and make a quick trip to see my family when when I want to. My fear for my own personal life is that I have grown so attached to the comforts of life in this place. Of the luxuries that I have come to take for granted each and every day, sometimes something as simple as being able to drink water from the tap. Maybe skew some different ways that God may be calling us to serve. Because I've said those words, I hear you. I see the need. I see how I'm able to fix it and and to to fit in. But man, I like my life here. (laughs) We have to be willing to get uncomfortable. To be able to live differently, to see differently. Because Satan frequently uses our desire for comfort to move us away from the way God is really calling us to serve. But when we, when we have hope, all right, when we put those things aside, even in the midst of, of, of suffering, in the midst of all of those things, when we're able to put that, those aside and to clasp to the hope of the gospel, I don't need the comforts of this life. I don't need running water. I don't need electricity. I don't need three working cars. I don't need a 2,000 or a 3,000 or a 4,000 square foot house. I don't need air conditioning. I don't need a grocery store full of food that some countries don't even have, or some cities don't even have in their whole storehouses. We have them. But when we cling to the hope that we have, it changes everything, and it changes how we see trials. It changes how we see trouble because we cling to the hope that we are given in Christ, not to the luxuries that we are given because of the nation in which we live. The comfort that we experience in trouble is like Jesus says here, you can be courageous because all of the things that you are going through right now have already been conquered. It's just a matter of time before that victory is claimed. Because here's really the truth about scars. We have a choice to make. We have a choice on whether these things that we endure, the trials and the sufferings, the tribulations, the things that come into our lives that make us feel damaged, we get to choose how we respond to those and I can stand in that cesspool of self-pity and be bitter about the things that I'm going through or I can allow them to make me better because we live really with two voices in our heads don't we the question is in the middle of those things do you still believe that God is good In the midst of illness, in the midst of death, in the midst of a loss of a job, in the midst of some kind of trial or tragedy or tribulation, can you endure that and still believe that God is good? That He loves you? That He has a plan? Those two voices will tell you two very different things. One says, take heart. Trust in God. Nothing will change nothing will come your way that hasn't already passed through the nail-scarred hands of your Savior. He loves you. He has a plan for you. There is no pain without purpose. God will redeem your pain. He will make it work. He will work through it, and He will work through it powerfully if you will just let Him. There is the Holy Spirit of God that speaks into our lives and says that very thing. We were going through it, but sometimes that voice is so hard to hear because there is another one that says God must not love you very much or He wouldn't have let this happen to you. If He was really in control, He would have kept this from happening. His plans for you are over. I have to believe Abraham heard both of those voices when he was marching up the mountain. I have to believe that Moses heard those words as he was standing on the shores of the Red Sea, going, great, God, you drove me here, and now what am I going to do? The Egyptian army is pressing in, and we are finished. I'm not sure, but I think multiple times in David's life, he had to have been thinking those things with all of the things that David experienced in his life. Where is God? And we're able to witness Jesus in the garden praying these very same things. You see the way he struggles and you know that Satan was in his ear saying if God really loved you, he wouldn't make you do what you're about to do. He wouldn't make you endure the pain. He wouldn't make you make you endure the loneliness. He wouldn't make you endure the separation. He wouldn't ask you to do this if he really loved you. But there's a different kind of faith that comes from those who have entrusted their lives to god christians and just like the people we read we read about faith allowed abraham to be in a place where god could provide a ram to put in place of his son faith put moses in a place that allowed god to part the red sea for the for the israelites to walk across Faith put David in a place where he was able to stand over a giant three times his size or two times his size. And faith in the will of God allowed Jesus to walk out of the garden through the gates of Jerusalem into the hands of Pilate down the road to Calvary and up on a tree on Golgotha so that we might have hope and that we might have comfort. So the question is for us. Will we allow our scars to speak? Will we allow them to minister to people? Or will we be embittered and embarrassed and try to cover them up? The nail-scarred hands of Jesus. The most powerful scars we may ever be a testament to. They're a testament to the gospel. They're a testament to a different level of love than we may ever have ever experienced or ever will experience again. The love of a God who created the heavens and the earth but says, I love you, and I love you so much that I'll go to the cross for you. And I will comfort you in ways That you can't even imagine. So that. In your times of greatest trial. Of greatest suffering. You can in turn be a comfort to others.